Listener Production. Yeah, I would just say build a savings habit. That's the first thing. Just look at your spending and maybe think about how much of that spending do you think is actually making you happier and how much of it is just spending that you either feel obligated to do or you feel it's just part of your life but you've you realize you're not actually getting that much satisfaction from it. G'day, I'm Scott Phillips, The Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer and welcome to The Good Oil. Now, if you're not familiar with the phrase, you should be by now if you've been listening, but let's assume you're new. Giving someone the good oil is giving them the good stuff, the important stuff, and the real stuff, which as you know by now is the aim of our podcast. We bring you chats with entrepreneurs, executives, and experts, the people who know what's going on and the people who make things happen. And as always, today's guest is someone who absolutely fits that bill. Making things happen, well, initially for himself and then increasingly for a whole lot of other people. Dave Gow is a long-time FIRE advocate. We'll get into that in a minute. And a best-selling author. He is the author of Strong Money Australia. Dave Gow, welcome to The Good Oil. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me, mate. That's quite an introduction. Mate, it's my pleasure. Well, you deserve it, mate. You're a best-selling <laughs> How does best-selling author feel, mate? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tip that three, five, ten years ago, you wouldn't have imagined best-selling author was going on your CV. Oh, no, definitely not. I mean, 10 years ago, I was driving a forklift. So. <laughs> <laughs> forklift turned author is a very small, glu- a small group. You might be the only member of that club, I reckon. There's a, that's a small lane, isn't it, from one to the <laughs> yeah, other? It really is. It really is. It really is. But yeah, I'd never, I'd never written anything in my life before. It just, just started after I stopped working and picked up blogging as a hobby and tried to test that out and took it from there. So it's, yeah, it's interesting from forklift driver to finance writer, I guess it's a bit strange. It's a very wow, well, mate. I, you know, I I came out of business into into finance, but yeah, I reckon I reckon being a forky is a, a an extra extra degree of uh, separation, <laughs> mate. But before we get into the the, the general stuff, are you so you're the second fire. Uh, do you call are you advocate? Are you a what? What is what is someone who follows fire? What do we call them? I have no idea. I think everyone's just right. making up, everyone's just making up their own terms on the go. Whatever you want to call it. A fire it. person. Let's go with, with fire person. Uh, we we had Matt from Aussie Firebug on the podcast before, so some of our listeners will have heard his version of it. But as you've rightly pointed out, mate, people are making things up as they go, not in a bad way, just in a hey, there's no rules here kind of way. So I'm going to ask you the same question I asked him, just to really get us started, which is just straight up: what, to your mind, what what, what is fire to Dave Gow? So the way I would summarize it and the way I like to think about it is simply just, it's like old school classic wealth building, but with a slight twist on it where you do that in a more rapid and a more serious approach where instead of building wealth over 20, 30, 40 years and then retiring and living the good life in your in your 60s or whatever it might be, you front load as much of that hard work as possible and you're able to do it in a much shorter time frame. So maybe 10 years or 15 years or something like that. And so that's become increasingly possible, say over the last 50, 70 years as our incomes, despite what some people might say or believe, our incomes have actually grown quite a lot, even above inflation over a very long period of time. And that's what makes this all possible because this wasn't possible at all for a lot of people um, for for most of history, to be honest, mate, I got to say I don't want I don't want to steal too much of my own thunder, but one of the things I really appreciate from you is your regular missives on the socials, uh, Facebook in particular, but you're everywhere. 
you're you're a very very straight shooter, mate. Is that uh, is that personality? Is that is that a bit of time in the warehouse driving your forklift? Uh, is that just kind of a hey, no time for BS around here? Uh, you, you know, you've already you've already started by saying, look, people say we're not earning more money. We actually are. So how about we get with the program? Uh, where, where's that kind of approach to 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 money? Is is that new? Is that who you've always been? Is that what you've developed over time? Uh, yeah, that's actually a good question. Um, I've probably always been a bit like that in terms of looking at things and trying not to just assume things are the way uh, that I'm being told they are and actually digging into things a bit a bit deeper. And I suppose I don't like to, I'm kind of like an anti-complaints person. If someone complains to me, I don't, <laughs> I tend to reject that immediately and try and think of, there's usually another side that they're not considering that things are not as bad as, as they've been told. And especially with people who might be uh, consuming a lot of mainstream media, perhaps they're often told certain dramatic narratives and certain things that aren't really true because it, it plays on people's fears and emotions and it gets the most attention. So there's a business model in there that I don't think is in our best interests. And so the, the more we can kind of steer away from that, the better. But I've always been someone who likes to use logic over emotion and try and be reasonable. Like everything does have an element of emotion to it, but I've always tried to cut through some of the the nonsense and, and look at what's really going on and try and have a bigger perspective, not just like, not just looking at numbers or not just looking at one thing, but try and have more of a broader understanding of things. Beautiful, mate. I'm going to get to some of that, uh, some of those straight truths in a minute. Uh, let's rewind the, the tape a little bit. Uh, you're driving a forklift and you're thinking there's got to be a better way. Tell, tell me how you go from that, not necessarily to where we are now, but to embracing, or so firstly finding, then embracing fire, and then getting to a position of retiring early. Well, I suppose in the beginning, fire wasn't actually a thing. Fire wasn't a term that, that I'd have never heard of before. I don't think it was a term at that point. So it was just like I said before, just classic building wealth to have enough, uh, have enough investments or whatever to where you don't have to work anymore or don't have to work as much anymore or whatever. So that became pretty appealing to me. I suppose I got quite disillusioned with the workforce at a very early age, which I suppose turned out to be a good thing. It's a good motivator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So building wealth and creating some sort of investment income and stuff like that was always very appealing to me. So once I could see that it was actually possible, I decided to take it very seriously. It just became my number one goal, essentially. And so that was the thing I focused on. Even while I was at work, I was always thinking about how can I how can I either earn more, save more, invest more, and try and reach my goal sooner. So it was something that I more or less obsessed about um, for the better part of 10 years. So it was, it was always a big passion. Great. So I, I'm curious, mate. So I think a lot of people, you know, hate their jobs. You know, there must be a better way. And they kind of go, but I don't know what that is. So I'm just going to keep working. You just get further and more and more disgruntled. Um, how, how did you discover the saving, investing, learning about investing? I mean, you know, it's, it's more mainstream than it used to be, but uh, I don't know how many years ago this was. But, but you know, many people have that same um, <laughs> light bulb moment of, oh my God, I'm stuck doing this for the rest of my life and then do it for the rest of their lives. You've obviously had some combination of determination, insight, and I assume some education or role model or some information that led you to, to put those dots together to find that new, better way. How did you go from my job sucks to I found the solution? Or how did you come across investing as, as that tool? I suppose mentally how I 
connected those two things was accepting that if I don't do anything different, I'm just going to end up like the same people at the at the factory when I'm 50 years, 60 years, 65 years old, still doing the same thing as everyone else. And so like, I just couldn't stomach that. I just rejected that idea in my mind. So I, I realized like that lit a fire under me and I realized I had to do something different. So from there, it was just learning. I think it was Noel Whitaker's, one of his books was the one of the first books I read on, on investing and learning about compound interest is one of the, usually one of the game changing lessons that people come across. So that was a big one for me. I remember staring at the page <laughs> with a compound interest table that shows you if you invest, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, here's how much you could have. I'm like, oh my God, is this, I couldn't believe it was real. Yeah. And so once I accepted it was real, I thought, oh, I have to, I have to do this. There's something here. I really have to focus on this. And obviously the rest, as they say, is if not history, at least has been the story of the last number of years. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about fire again. You know, not that uh, your insights aren't, aren't wonderful, Dave, but as you know, we've done this a little bit with Matt from Aussie Firebug. So I wanted because you've written the book Strong Money Australia, I'll give that a couple of plugs as we as we chat. Uh, excellent book, mate. Well done, by the way. Congratulations on on such amazing success. I think it is because you're a, a straight shooter. You just you know you call it as you see it. You're very very plain um, in, in a really good way, right? You're just very like no no rubbish, no no carry on. This is this is what it is. is how you do it. I asked you, I said, look, mate, what should we talk about from your perspective? The things, and again, I'll say what I love about you is, is some of your social stuff. I'm just going to read um, two days ago as we're recording this on the 4th of August. Uh, you wrote, uh, quote, uncomfortable truth. We put no personal effort into the incredibly good living standards we enjoy in Australia. It's pure luck. We should elicit nothing but gratitude. We should be oozing with awe at the convenience and luxuries, but we're not. Um, I, also, I will, I will only add the one from the day before because it's just awesome. I quote, The snarkiest people on social media are easily the least successful in life. 100% correlation. It's a, excuse the language, shit show out there which matches the reality of their existence, projected misery. Now, I, if I didn't love you already, mate, I love you even more after that one because snark is one of my absolute pet hates. The the clever so-and-sos who can think of nothing better than to put someone down in a, in a clever, pithy way and, and kind of think they're, think they're wonderful is uh, my, my absolute... Well, I've got a lot of pet hates on social media. That's number one, absolutely, with a, with a bullet. So basically, look, you know, you are, you are a very clear thinker. You're, you're a straight shooter. So I wanted to talk about some of the things that, that, we, that you mentioned. And what I want to start with, mate, is you just said, you've said, quote, we're incredibly lucky to live in Australia in 2023 i wonder whether part of this is about having a, a an expectation an understanding of the realities of that to be able to embrace a positive outlook to be able to be optimistic and realistic about that stuff when the media and everyone else is telling you how terrible it is that they've got the hundred eighty thousand dollar job and they're paying too much tax or you know all i can afford is a four-bedroom house with three bathrooms and two cars and you know i'm, I'm doing it really tough there's a definite move. In fact, I was reading something from a scientist only today talking about the shifting baseline idea. I can't remember the exact phrase. The idea is basically what you used to becomes how you judge everything. Perspective is so powerful, isn't it? It is. It is. It's a good point. It's, it's a lot of times we, as, as you just mentioned, we're basically moving the goalposts as life, as our living standards get a little bit better, the, the minimum for what we're willing to accept also raises and so we're never quite well I suppose the other aspect of that is we're never quite satisfied like even if life gets a little bit better over time it's not like we keep getting more joyous over time I mean if you look at a lot of people in society we're not like 10 times happier than we used to be it's clearly that's clearly not how it works so 
our happiness doesn't go upwards linearly with um with how much we're spending up into infinity so it doesn't really work like that and so there's just so many differences if you look at our lives now versus say 50 70 years ago like housing's a big one obviously the cars we drive are a lot fancier now the lifestyles we have i mean if you look around at old photos of what our what our cities and what our suburbs used to look like it was pretty it was pretty basic and if you look like if you look at old houses on realestate.com you might see a 1970s house and that house is incredibly basic and it's not because it's 50 years old because some people might think oh well it's an old house of course it doesn't look good but it doesn't have anywhere near like the uh the size and the features and all of the things that we would become accustomed to nowadays so it's just incredible to see and every every second shop now seems to be a cafe so they that tells you something else about how our lifestyles have changed a lot of it's become we do have more money but we do we're not saving more because we do just essentially choose to spend that money on other things which is fine but then we also shouldn't complain about how hard life is. There's an article by The Economist, I'm pretty sure I'm remembering this correctly, by an economics writer, Ross Gittins, uh, who talked about the fact that back in the you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, people projected we'd be working four hours a week. And his point was actually, we could be. If, if we wanted, that, we, we could, with our current incomes, afford a 1950s, 60s lifestyle and work four hours a week. Except none of us want to because we, as you say, get, get used to those things. And so when we all say, where's the four-hour week we were promised, the answer is, we chose not to have it. We, we, it, it was delivered. We, we literally could have had it, right? One car, a black and white TV, a 40, a 30-year-old couch. Um, not that I'm saying everything should be old. My point is you can have the basics of life on a, on a modest income in, in, if you choose particularly where to live. And I'm going to ask you about that because um, you, the other, next point you gave me was housing doesn't have to destroy your finances. There are lots of ways to deal with it. I reckon housing, mate, is... You know, we talk about, you know, don't have the smashed abo. You mentioned cafes before. That's part of it. But I, I have a view, and you may disagree, and you're welcome to. I have a view that it's actually not the little decisions that we make, it's the big ones. The car you drive, the house you live in, those two things, nothing else matters. Uh, you know, over and above that. You can, you can make some money on the margins, and you should if you can, and by all means, save and invest it. But, you know, the, the house, the location, or whatever we choose, I reckon that's probably the biggest indicator of, of, of opportunity for future long-term prosperity. Tell me how you do housing without, quote, destroying your finances. Well, we should definitely look at the bigger ticket items first if we're looking to improve our finances in any possible way. And so housing and cars, like you said, is the two biggest categories for pretty much everyone in this country and especially housing and especially for people on the east coast so i'm lucky i'm over in perth housing isn't quite as expensive obviously as as it is over there where you guys are but these these articles that are peddled in the media like here's how long it takes to save a 20 percent deposit for an average house in sydney on a single income so then they obviously they portray how impossible it is and essentially it's extremely bloody difficult if that's your circumstances but they they paint i'm not saying that that's easy of course not but the the point is they paint a story like that's the only possible option that you have on the table and so it's either this or nothing which is obviously ridiculous so there is a few ways you can you can combat that so obviously you could use a smaller deposit you don't have to save a 20 percent deposit which is obviously going to get you in the market sooner and ideally lock in a lower price rather than waiting four or five more years to have that big deposit. 
Um, you can also buy in a less than median priced suburb because they always use the median price, don't they? So you can buy in a slightly cheaper suburb. You could buy a slightly cheaper house within that slightly cheaper suburb or whatever. It might be a little bit smaller, a little bit older, maybe one less room, something like that. Or maybe, maybe this, maybe you don't buy a house. Maybe you buy a townhouse or a villa or an apartment or something like that. You don't necessarily have to have a one point something million dollar house. So you can also buy with a partner, with a friend and team up, or you can just rent and invest instead. So there's, it's not like the only option you have is to save up a 20% deposit to buy a median price house in one city of the country. I'm curious, mate, uh, let's go back to the well, because again, we're talking about, um, it might be a phrase of yours, or it might be Matt's, or I might come up, I can't remember, it's one of those things that kind of gets around. Um, I think I think I wrote, but I may have stolen it from somebody else. The most insidious inflation is actually expectations inflation. Did I steal that from you or from somebody else? Have you heard that phrase? Because that that's, you know, to your point, um, I, I grew up in a, in a very, very rectangular house in a brand new suburb, a long way from almost anywhere in Sydney. It was in Sydney. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, you know, middle of the country, but, um, you know, new estate development, uh, you know, three, three bedrooms, one bathroom, you know, had a fantastically wonderful childhood. And, and I've got to confess even to myself, thinking about, oh, what should, what should I have for, for my kids? Well, maybe we should have this and maybe we should have that. And that expectation, the, the expectation inflation, the idea of, you know, because we can, we should, and then if we should, then it ratchets up that that cost. Um, you're right. If you if you did just the simple maths on the the less than less than median suburb, the less than median house, you're probably already saving well well over six figures, surely. Yeah, the, even just like a few of those things can make such a big difference. I think that quote's probably from someone that sounds like someone a bit smarter than me. Maybe Morgan Housel. That might sound <laughs> like a been. Morgan Housel quote, to be honest. It might have been, it might have been. He's a very, very good writer, The Psychology of Money. Once you finish Dave's book, grab Morgan's book, The Psychology of Money, which is also excellent. Uh, one of the best ones I've, I've read relatively recently. Mate, I, when I spoke to Matt, we, we, we kind of, from Aussie Firebug, we got to the conversation around fire actually isn't really a financial concept. It's it's a lifestyle concept. It's a it's a dare I say it, a way of living. Um, not not quite a religion, not quite a cult. Although some some five uh, followers can be a little bit cultish. <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, you you've seen them. I've seen them. Uh, but uh, I don't wanna, I don't wanna abuse anyone in the, in the in the community. I know they're doing great things. But there are some really hardcore people out there who are like, you got to do it my way. This is the only way you can do it. But it it is it is something of a of a life philosophy, right? That that whole idea of at some level at least rejecting the the status quo rejecting the dominant narratives and choosing to live a different way that's almost is is it more important than the money maybe it is maybe it's not what do you think about that yeah that's a good question i think it is more of a philosophy than anything else and there isn't a there isn't a one size fits all of course there's obviously many many different approaches and different ways that you can take the certain lessons from the fire community and apply them to your own life in your own way so a lot of people don't actually want to want to retire fully. A lot of people don't mind their jobs, but they use the lessons that they've learned from the fire community to build up a, a nice war chest of, of investments, which actually just helps them fund their family's expenses into the future and takes the financial pressure off, whether it might be education or just getting their house paid off a bit sooner or being able to semi-retire and spend a bit more time with their kids while they're a bit younger, um, doing different things like that. But at, in the essence of it, it's really about 
using trying to use your money in a in a smarter way where it's more in line with what's really important to you like is that lifestyle really important to you or do you have other things that you might want to prioritize do you want to have less time at work so you can take you can spend more time on your health or your hobbies or your family like i mentioned or maybe there's a business idea that you want to start and having a nice pile of savings is going to really take the pressure off while you work on that on the side so there's a lot of different ways that you can take the lessons and um, tweak them and take what works for you and reject what doesn't and apply it for yourself. I want to, I want to, this is probably a good time, mate, then to go to your particular fire story. Uh, we talked about how you got to uh, driving a forklift and think there's got to be a better way. You then did achieve the holy grail of fire, which is you actually did retire early. Tell us, tell us that part of, of your story, if you don't mind. The leaving work part. Yeah, we're just kind of when you, you you kind of obviously you have you have the you have the 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 idea of like there's got to be a better way. You spend over a decade working towards it, and then you get to the point of saying, actually, I'm here. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to give away any information. You don't want to give away about personal stuff, of course. But but how how did you realize you were now at that point? How did you get a level of comfort, mental, emotional comfort, not, not physical, to, to say I'm good? I can actually now leave the workforce. I'm going to follow through on this thing. I've now I'm now fired, if that's a, if that's a phrase. I, I've I've retired early. Um, how did you go about that point of 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 the journey of going? Yep, I'm finally done, boss. Here's my here's my notice. I'm off to go and do nothing. Yeah, so it's it's quite interesting because more or less the realization happened almost by surprise because like we were, we were saving and investing for a period of many years and it was in property initially so only later we transitioned towards shares um and so with property we'd been saving saving using that money to uh, increase our portfolio and and buy more property and whatever and then eventually we got to the point where we'd built a, a decent amount of wealth and we kind of looked at it and realized okay we're not actually getting any income from this like there has to, what's what's the end game going to be here it's not really, <laughs> it's, it's not really working out like i thought it might work out so we had to, had to have a bit of a change of plan so i started investing in shares and then learning about dividend income and learning about uh, cash flow and things like that because obviously i'm thinking I'm going to need some, we have to pay the bills, right? If we actually want to remove ourselves from the workforce. So that was one realization. So at that point, having those two things uh, to compare at the same time, like all this equity sitting in properties from our saved money and our, the properties growing in value. And then these these shares that we had that we'd started building a portfolio, one's providing a nice little bit of income, the other's providing nothing, even though, there's way more savings tied up in the property than there was in the shares. So it was like, well, we could actually sell some of these properties, transition the money into shares, and then we're going to have that nice income stream to actually live on and pay our bills. And so at the same time that that was happening, we also were realizing how little we actually needed to live on for our personal circumstances. So a few things combined and within a period of about six months, we started realizing, wow, we could actually pull the pin quite soon because of all these different things that were kind of lining up. Um, so that was a, that was an interesting realization to have. But once we got to that point, I wasn't very, I wasn't very worried, I'll say, about leaving my job and, and relying on my investments. So I just thought that that was the reasonable thing to do because that was the whole 
the whole thing I was working towards, so it would be a waste of time to work towards that and then just be like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just keep doing my job and keep piling up the money because that wasn't the point of it in the first place. The point of it was freedom. So I had no, no qualms about actually cashing out and changing my strategy and quitting my job and, and starting to, I suppose, take a different path. So that wasn't, I didn't have any, any psychological hurdles to cross there. But I, I do know that many people struggle with that actually so yeah it's funny because i think maybe the superpower of a lot of fire followers is actually hating their jobs um and i say that because a it's a motivator b for a lot of people who are moderately successful or happy or whatever in their jobs come to identify themselves with the job whether it's the status whether it's the you know what what do you do oh i'm a financial analyst in my case right um, that you know, it, what do you do? Well, I I go you know walking and I play sport and I you know, we don't say that. But what do you do? I, of course, they mean what do you do for work, but we we identify that way, right? And and for some of us, I imagine saying, actually, I'm done. I, what do you do? I'm I'm brackets retired, close bracket. Um, you know, it it is a big deal, and trying to find the right point, I think, to to do that. The other thing I think is when people have enough money during their working lives. It, the tendency to want more again that that upgrade the, the kind of the lifestyle inflation of you know i've got this much money so i could have the the, the new thing and i've got the new thing well, i've got to keep working to pay for the new thing because i've now got the new thing um you know it's the old, the old joke about you know we go to work to pay for a cleaner and a and a, and a gym membership and whatever else it's like well if you just stayed home and didn't do that you know it's, it's 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 very perverse if you really think about it for too long that's the thing you guys have right and plenty of people who who otherwise would be listening to this and saying if I think about this too long, I'm going to realize that maybe the whole thing's exactly a house of cards. There are some smart people doing some really good things. They're super engaged and they love doing, and that's great. Um, but those who are sort of living, you know, paycheck to paycheck, or, or stressing about what happens if the money goes away because I can't afford this lifestyle, that that strikes me as kind of still decision point number one. Right? It's kind of working out how you want to live a life independent of the expectations of other people. Well, I think there's a few things going on there. So number one is probably chasing a certain lifestyle, thinking that it's going to bring you happiness, which is probably quite dubious. I think the next one that's going on there is people either with money or without money tie their self-worth to either the lifestyle they have, the possessions they own, and also the job title that they have. So the job title thing is more kind of understandable because you might get a sense of meaning and purpose from that job but if we look at I'm fairly sure there's statistics that show that the vast majority of people do not do not derive a a strong sense of purpose or meaning from their job and and most people have relatively unsatisfying relatively boring jobs I would say and they would I'm sure they'd be the first to admit that they wouldn't show up for work if they weren't getting paid for it so I think there's a few things going on there that the fire community decide that they don't agree with those those assumptions and that way of doing things and so they they kind of buck that trend. I suppose one of the key strengths of people that go down this path is the ability to reject certain norms and the ability to do something different which may seem scary to certain people because obviously we're we're kind of built to fit in, right? We like to fit in with other people. We don't want to be criticized for doing something different. So it can be a bit uncomfortable when, you do, when you're not following the standard path because you do kind of stand out a bit in that sense. So, yeah, I think there's a few overlapping dynamics there that are quite interesting to think about. 
Matt, I, I, I'm going to ask you in a minute how much you need to have, not you personally, but, but people need to have to retire. Before I do, uh, you mentioned the, you know, fitting in that kind of stuff. Um, for a lot of people, work is social and that's, that's a friendship group. For another, I can imagine, I don't know, if you're someone you know, younger than me and, and you, you go to a party, or a party or a barbecue, what do you do? I'm Ricky. What do you do? I'm an account. What do you do? I, I'm, I'm 25 and retired or 48 and retired or 32 and retired. Um, that, that's, and to your point, that's its own, that's its own thing, right? I, I imagine at some level, plenty of the fire community are wearing that thing with a badge of prize, like, mate, I've made it, I'm there. For others, it's kind of like, well, again, kind of a little bit back to what defines me, but also how others see me, how I see myself, do I really fit in with the rest of society in that circumstance where other people are, you know, running the rat race and I've just, I've just taken a different path. I'm not, you know, the old line, if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. You, you know, it, it's, you, you kind of opt out and say, I'm doing something different. How, how did that go for you? Is, is there a social stigma, weirdness? Uh, does it take, for yourself or for others, does it take time to get your head around? Yeah, it is a bit unusual because like we're saying, you are doing something different. So you don't necessarily fit in with those, especially with those kind of conversations. Right. Um, so there's a few ways you can you can approach it because there are some awkward conversations that tend to come up with, with <laughs> topics like that. Most people that I'm aware of that have actually retired don't tend to actually mention that in conversations because it just it, it either opens a can of worms that they don't want to they don't want to answer the 25 questions about or yeah okay it, it kind of throws certain people off as well either they might assume that you're gloating or they might just have these certain preconceived notions about what people with money are like and it's different if it's your friends but if it's just like small talk That's with right. people kind of, you yeah, don't yeah. really know yeah, yeah, it, yeah it can be can be a bit awkward so a lot of people just they either make up something oh i'm just taking a break <laughs> for a while before you know i just left my job i'm gonna do something else soon or whatever yeah, so yeah. You, there's a lot of ways to kind of make those conversations a bit a bit easier who am I? I'm Dave Gow, my best-selling author. God damn it! I don't need to <laughs> um, let, let's go. So I, I'm going to go back to. I'm going to go back to how much you need to retire. I am curious, mate. This is again. We, we're talking a lot about. This is a lot about psychology, I think. And I wonder whether, again, as I said, the fact that fire is its own lifestyle slash philosophy slash something else. Um, I can imagine there's a whole lot of people listening here. I have some very, very smart, thoughtful, open listeners. So, so not most of them. Most of them get it. There'll be a very tiny minority, maybe one or two people, who are still thinking, yeah, but then I couldn't have dot, dot, dot. But then I couldn't be dot, dot, dot. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, with wonderful respect to those amazing listeners, suggest that maybe some of that is that, that in, instinctive uh, defense mechanism. And we tend to dismiss things that are different to us because they challenge our preconceptions. It's easier to dismiss something different than genuinely to look into it, right? Whether it's a, a way to retire, whether it's a, a religious or political or philosophical approach, uh, it, you know, it's that, that must be bad because the thing I'm doing must be good because if the thing I'm doing is not good, I've wasted all this time. Uh, I have likened it in the past potentially, and this gets me in trouble sometimes, to, to a minister of religion of whichever religion you choose, waking up one day and going, I spent 35 years thinking I believe this. Now I don't. Now what do I do? Like, you know, do I, do I live the lie or do I confront the lie? Uh, and again, with respect to anyone who's a minister of religion listening, um, it's easy just to kind of not have to ask those questions. So someone listening saying, well, that's good for Dave, but I couldn't do that because not right for me because, and it probably isn't if they think that, but there is something about that instinctive defense mechanism. How do you, well, can you, do you, how do you, Get around that for those people. Help those people start to think a bit differently. What's the what's the ticket for someone who kind of can't imagine a different life for themselves, so have to dismiss it? Otherwise, it's too uncomfortable to to kind of sit with for any extended period of time. 
Yeah, boy, that's quite a tough question to answer. A lot of times people reject things like you were saying because it's just it's just different. They like to, you know, you, when you see people having discussions on the internet, it's usually they'll just agree with whatever they're doing and they reject whatever they're not doing. They just like 100%, they, es- they essentially want a mirror to just confirm everything they're doing and and uh, spew hatred towards anyone they disagree with without even really thinking about it first. Uh, so I suppose model, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I suppose with with someone who might be apprehensive about certain aspects of it, whether it's certain uh, certain strategies in the fire community, or whether it's about leaving their job, or anything that feels like a big deal to them, and they have this psychological uh, hurdle, I suppose that they see it as, I would suggest to those people and i would encourage them to not think in terms of like extremes it doesn't have to be either or you don't have to be doing you don't have to be saving a massive amount of your pay or none at all you don't have to quit your job entirely and do nothing or stay full-time at work so you can just ease your way into different things so maybe it's dropping one day of of work per week as you build up some investments try and transition slowly you don't have to quit your job and then just figure it out because it is it can be intimidating for certain people especially if they they do feel a sense of self-esteem and status from their job it can be very difficult for them to break away that mental attachment of this is who i am with the job that they're doing and they might not want to which is fine but if they're going down this path of investing and that they probably want to do it because they want some more freedom, more options, more flexibility in their life in the future. So just being able to be mentally flexible and maybe don't think in terms of all or nothing. It can just be like one day a week, two days a week, whatever. It could just be like, I'm going to take a three-month chunk off and then come back and do something else. So yeah, I would try and just have more of a balance, more of a soft and slow and steady approach with those kind of people. Yeah, it makes sense. I uh, I don't know, speaking of you're in WA, uh, one of your fellow WA residents, relatively famous amongst a small group of people, uh, Graham Cahill, who uh, is on the YouTube channel Four Wheel Drive Twenty Four Seven. I don't know if you're a, a four wheel driver or not, Dave, but uh, he, his whole thing was exactly that. He had this job, and he's like, "Well, I, I want to go camping a four wheel driver on the weekend, so I'm going to find a way to to do that, and then I'm going to try and find a job where I can work four days a week, so I can spend three days a week doing what I love." And then it, it became a, over time, as you say, that kind of merge from from one to the other of actually, no, I can do this thing, which is what makes me happy, and find a way to do it in a financially sustainable way which which strikes me as, as the right approach all right so, so the big question mate how much do our listeners need to be a fire follower to finally be financially independent and retire early so there's a rough rule of thumb that most people agree with and most people follow in the fire community and that's like the, the what's called the four percent rule which is essentially just tells you that a decent starting point to figure out how much you need in investments to retire is 25 times your annual expenses and so built, built into that number you can obviously tell that as your expenses go higher even by every one thousand dollars you now need another twenty five thousand dollars yeah, to produce yeah. that one thousand dollars say of passive income to live on so it's there's kind of a trick message there built into the number but that just that just seems <laughs> to be like a, a decent number that most people okay. agree on and it, there's obviously some personal circumstances that are built in there but 
most people would um, suggest that that's a, a decent starting point. And to your mind, does that include home ownership? Do you, or, or do you include the rent and the repayments in that? Like, how do you how do you think about that kind of? Because that's a big one, right? The, the uh, having a mortgage or zoning your home outright that's got to change that number pretty meaningfully. Well, it does, yeah. So the, I would just consider that to be all of your outgoing expenses each year. So if you have a paid off house, um, that removes that a huge chunk of your yeah, expenses. So yeah. that re- also reduces how much you need. Any so I would just consider it pure investments because that's what's producing uh, investment income for you to pay the rest of your bills. So a lot of people will opt for a paid off house and a certain pool of investments, whereas some people might not care about paying off their house and they so they just leave the debt there and they opt for a bigger pool of investments. It's just a, a personal approach there. But I would say that a paid off house is is a pretty popular option for most people, even in the fire community. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I'm curious, mate. So, so let's just talk about the I, because I reckon of all of the the, the fire acronym, financially independent, retire early, FIRE, it really is the I, mate. Again, you've you've, you've wrote something recently about on, on Facebook about it, um, and I'm just, I, you, you see, again, excuse the language. This is Dave's language, not mine. It's his fault. Uh, he says, "quote Don't underestimate the power of having your financial shit together. You can walk through life with confidence, knowing you're going to be just fine." Mate, I, I, I reckon in two lines, that is, to my mind at least, the, the very fundamental truth that underpins all of this stuff. Not just fire, by the way, anyone who's investing with the hope of retiring at some point, even at a, at a regular traditional age of whatever, they're enjoying their job or they like work or they want to work or they want to have a higher standard of living, sure, do both. That idea of, you know what, I've got a house, I've paid off my car, uh, I can cover my costs... Life is a very, 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 very different vibe than can I afford the mortgage? What if the car breaks down? Uh, you know, the, the, the deck's going to need to be replaced. How am I going to afford that? Whatever those things are, um, it just strikes me that that is the very, very fundamental truth of any of the investing that any of us do, whether you identify as fire or not. I, I hope to become financially independent. I'm planning not to retire early because I kind of like my job. But, you know, but, but again, the idea, the option to do so, the idea of saying I've got enough money I've, well, I cover my outgoings, as you, as you rightly point out, whether it's the 4% rule or something else, I'm, I'm going to be okay. The, the psychological, emotional, whatever stress relief of that in itself is, to my mind, the really core kernel of, of the fire movement. Am I wrong or am I close to it? No, yeah, absolutely right. And it, and it applies to everyone, even whether they want to work their entire lives or not. I mean, I suppose what I mean is that having a difference and ideally a, a decent difference between your expenses and your income just gives you so much personal power and so much flexibility and so much strength in your life that, like I said in that uh, potty mouth uh, note there on uh, Facebook that... Uh, <laughs> I was not one of your worst. not one of your worst. I've sent some of the other ones. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like it just gives you the, the sense of confidence and and de-stresses you that whatever happens you're essentially going to be fine because not only is there surplus cash every month to soak up uh whatever unpleasant scenario that might happen in your life most of those things can be covered with like ongoing ongoing savings but but if you're doing this also for a period of of months and years you end up with also a decent pile of investments which just strengthen that situation even further so that gives you so much peace of mind in your financial life to know know that you don't have to put up with a 
a, a crappy boss or you don't have to worry too much if the car breaks or you want to move house to something nicer or whatever it is, travel or all the rest of it, if, regardless if, if you want to work forever or not, it doesn't really matter. The same same principle applies. Yeah, I think that's right. Mate, I, 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 we will get to our favorite questions. Uh, one, one, well, the last post I want to mention that you, you, you put up, This is I just like this. It was funny, but also kind of it reminded, made me think. It's a crazy idea. How popular do you think a fire dating app would be? It could double as a friend finder and help finding local meetups, etc. Full credit goes to a reader for the idea, blah, blah, blah. And I just, I mean, it was funny anyway, but, but I actually did wonder about that because they, we know that money is the most likely cause of financial, or, sorry, of, of relationship stress. And I got to assume that fire is, on one hand, the solution. On the other hand, makes the whole thing worse, right? Whether whether you want to whether whether the partner wants to buy the Gucci bag or the Hermes bag or whether whether the bloke wants to buy you know the Apple uh, the Apple phone or the Samsung phone, um, they're, they're stressful just the amount of money being spent. I'm not sure if it's more or less stressful when you say, "Well, I'm still using my 45 year old Nokia phone and uh, and I'm walking to work." Thank you very much. Uh, how how important is it? How difficult is it in your experience? Not not personally, but with the community. Uh, you know the, the the relationship dynamic. That must be if some if one of them discovers fire, the other one's not interested. That's got to be a pretty big deal. But equally, it's a pretty good way to solve some some relationship stress, right? If you both get to that position early, you say, "Guess what? Money's no longer an issue. We, we've we've arrived." That in itself has got to be a pretty strong motivator. Yeah, it it definitely is, and it's it's interesting. There's quite a good number of couples that are in the fire community. Many of them I've met in real life, and they're very happy. They're on the same page because, like you said, a lot of uh, a lot of cause of relationship breakdowns is is financially related. So it's it's pretty important to find um, someone who is on the same page, and they're probably not going to be. They're probably not going to have the exact same outlook as you. That's pretty unlikely. But if you can find some way to meet in the middle and share some core values, and then just be willing to compromise with each other and and get on the same page and and have some maybe some uh, common goals to work towards that you can share together. If, if not, it's going to be quite tough. I, I know of people that decide to separate their finances instead and actually enjoy doing it that way where one spouse is like, no, I'm absolutely not interested. I'm happy to just work and I actually want to spend all my money. And the other house, the other spouse says, okay, well, I actually want to retire early. So how about we find a way to split bills in a way that is fair but then we each get to use our money for what we want one person gets to work towards financial independence and the other one just does whatever they like so there's a few different ways you can approach it you're not watching my netflix might be a difficult conversation to have i think with with, with a partner but any, anything's anything's possible <laughs> hey yeah mate let, let's finish well we won't finish with our, our favorite questions we'll I'll get the socials at the very end but until then let's go to our final uh, favorite four questions we ask every guest dave uh you're obviously very very engaged with the fire community with finance in general uh what are you watching reading streaming uh what's what's on your on the, your proverbial nightstand in between your ears on your tv that's a good question um I do actually not listen and read a whole lot of finance stuff, especially fire stuff these days because obviously that's, I don't know, it's not, not something that I feel like I should be spending a lot of time learning about since I'm, <laughs> I'm writing about it at the nice moment too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the, I'm actually reading quite a good book recently which is called, I believe it's called Civilization and... It's called Civilization, the West and the Rest. And so it's it's 
yeah, I'm only about a third of the way through it at the moment, but it's talking about the differences between the Western civilizations and the rest of the world and what caused the West to prosper much more than, than elsewhere. And it is very interesting, very... Neil Ferguson, lots and okay. lo- Lots and lots. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Lots and lots of details. So that's, that's, what's, uh, that's what I'm reading at the moment. Very cool. Fire is its own trend, Dave. But what other trends are you watching, whether it's business, finance, just around the world, technology? What's capturing your attention about the way the world's moving? To be honest, it is probably relates to some of my Facebook posts and you probably <laughs> you probably get the sense of how I feel about certain things from reading yes. reading what I'm writing, but I don't like it it seems like one direction and one trend that I'm seeing is we seem to be moving towards a society that is almost shunning personal responsibility and we seem to be wanting to blame everyone else for our problems <laughs> even though like life seems to get better and easier as time goes on we seem to find more and more ways to make it more stressful and make it more hectic and make it more dramatic and i i don't know i'm a bit concerned about the way things are heading i don't like the idea of people wanting to avoid personal responsibility i just don't think that's going to lead to a healthy society i think a healthy society is one where Yes, you have government. Yes, you have regulation. Yes, you have all these things that kind of help society like almost like safety barriers to keep society from getting too far, too too lopsided and too far out of hand in one direction. But you also need to have individuals taking personal accountability and personal responsibility for their own situation and their own decisions that they're making. You can't just blame everything on someone else or some other entity or it just it seems to be increasingly common and I really don't like it. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, mate, what advice would you give someone who is interested in starting down a fire path? Yeah, I would just say build a savings habit. That's the first thing. Just look at your spending and maybe think about how much of that spending do you think is actually making you happier and how much of it is just spending that you either feel obligated to do or you feel it's just part of your life but you've you realize you're not actually getting that much satisfaction from it i would take a look at those things and maybe question some of them and see if you can use your money in a more thoughtful way and if you can then then great start start saving and start investing some of it and like we were saying before even just having gone down that path for a few months or even a year or two you'll find that your the financial stress that you might have had before will start to melt away and you'll start to feel far more equipped at handling any problems in your life that may crop up. And so I think that's a really empowering way to start working towards financial independence and whether you actually work towards leaving your job or not, that's that's almost irrelevant to be honest. It's, it's all about making that progress and becoming more like building some sort of financial strength that will help you through your life. I like that. Mate, I don't know. Most of my guests, I think everyone has, has agreed with me that they are optimists. You're both concerned about people taking responsibility, but I'm going to assume by, by your very nature, you're an optimist because you went out there and grabbed a life by the scruff of the neck and made something of it and got yourself to retire early. What are you optimistic about, Dave? I'm actually optimistic about the number of people that are becoming financially literate now, and with the, especially with the... I suppose the internet has been a huge driver of that and and content as well being able to be shared with so many people so i'm actually optimistic about how 
just how much people are soaking up the knowledge and willing to share with others. And I, I really like to see communities like that growing. I mean, the fire community is just one of them, but even like even what you're doing, Scott, and anyone that's in the investing field and teaching people to make better long-term decisions and start using their money in a more thoughtful way. So I really like I really like where that's heading. I love it, mate. That is awesome. Hey, uh, while I uh, ask you how people can follow you, I will share one more Facebook post, which starts with, new article out today. It comes with bonus rants on consumerism, personal responsibility, and entitlement. And you have a week after that, mate. So you definitely kept on brand during this podcast. Well done. Uh, but speaking of that article, <laughs> how can people get more from Dave Gow, more from Strong Money Australia? The easiest way is probably just to go to the website, which is strongmoneyaustralia.com. And there's also a Facebook page, just Strong Money Australia. And I'm on Twitter at strongmoneyaus. Very, very good. I would highly encourage all of our listeners to follow Dave uh, for all of the good stuff he does. He is an absolute straight shooter, a smart bloke. He's done it himself. He can show you how it can be done. If you're worried about, well, I can't possibly be real, guess what? Dave has done it. You've heard about it today. Dave, I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you, mate. I've, I've loved following you for ages, so thank you for spending some time. By the way, not you, you didn't give the biggest plug at all, mate. They should be jumping on to their favourite online bookseller and buying copies of Strong Money Australia, Dave's best-selling book. Check that out as well. Throw some money Dave's way. He's retired. The guy needs some <laughs> uh, So, uh, no, it's also a very good book. So, mate, I uh, really, really appreciate all the work you're doing. Thank you for joining me on The Good Oil. Cheers, Scott. Thanks for having me. This podcast is hosted by me, Scott Phillips, produced by Ed Gooden, and imaged by Link Kelly.